Hello, this is Beyond the Bell with WASTA, Wisconsin's hub for professional development for anyone working in out-of-school time programs and youth-serving organizations. It's our mission to help you provide the highest quality care to children and their families. If you wish you had an extra tool going into programming to help guide behaviors in a productive way, wish you knew more about how to provide the whole family with support, or you want to enhance your own well-being, then this is the home for you. We know what it's like to feel like you never have enough time or resources to meet everyone's needs, and we're here to support you through the challenges. Stay tuned as we explore new ideas and strategies that you can use right away. Rachel Sharon, Health Educator with Marshfield Clinic Health Systems Center for Community Health Advancement and Wisconsin Out-of-School Time Alliance. We're excited you're listening today to our conversation with Dr. Kelsey Offenwanger. Dr. Offenwanger is a clinical psychologist with Marshfield Health System who's licensed in Illinois and Wisconsin. She works with families and caregivers of children and adolescents who experience behavioral difficulties, social-emotional challenges, and developmental concerns. Dr. Offenwanger participates in multidisciplinary teams across Marshfield Clinic Health System and provides evidence-based interventions to after-school programs. She's joining us today to talk to us about how to recognize our own signs of stress and what we can do about it. Welcome to our podcast again. Thank you for having me. So sometimes in our culture, there's so much emphasis on behavior, and that's understandable because it's what we can see and hear. But the more we learn, we know that there's so much going on below the surface in our nervous system, in our brain, even in our gut. And at the same time, adults are often exposed to messaging that say we need to be strong, resilient, stoic. But today we want to talk about reality. So with this growing mental health crisis for youth, adults who work to support them are often thrown into intense situations and we can't help but be impacted by them. So what's it like for a caregiver or a staff person to experience this dysregulation? It's very hard and challenging. And I think this is a really good topic to talk about because as adults, we all are going to feel stressed at sometimes. We're going to feel dysregulation and that is okay. So I often say it's okay to be okay. We just have to monitor for how long. But when looking at dysregulation, you know, by definition, it means an inability to control or regulate our emotional responses. So it can present in many ways. It may be triggered by an event, a sound, a person, or just many situations that build up over time. It may show itself through passive aggressive comments, negative remarks, and irrational thoughts. It can also feel like frustration, sadness, stress, or all the above. So signs of emotional dysregulation that we may see in ourselves, especially when we're working with kids, may be overly intense emotions. Um, We may have impulsive behavior at times. We may snap back at a student. Um, We may feel really annoyed or irritated and not really sure why. It may be harder for us to make decisions. We may get more flustered, not have an answer. We may have limited emotional awareness. So what's kind of going on around us? How can we stay in tune with others' emotions? Or are we kind of missing some of those more nonverbal or subtle signs? We also may start to avoid difficult emotions and struggle to manage our own behaviors. So ideally, it's important to watch out for these signs of dysregulation in ourselves and in others, especially when working with colleagues and kids. And when we are regulated, we can then co-regulate more effectively and help the youth in our lives regain control of their emotions. So this can be kind of complicated experience. A lot of the emotions you mentioned, I think are ones that we kind of almost talk about as like being negative, but one of my big takeaways you said right away is it's okay not to be okay. And so if anyone takes a line away from this podcast, I think it already would be that, that a lot of what we're talking about is this is normal and we're going to break it down a little bit more. So 
Evolution gave us different pathways to keep us safe and healthy. So the ability to fight or to flee and the ability to even shut down and become small if we need it. So walk us through what it might be like to experience each state for an adult interacting with a kid. Yeah, so the term fight or flight, you know, is really ingrained in survival instincts and represents the options of our ancient ancestors and again, what they could choose or handle when dealing with dangerous environments. So thankfully, we're not faced with as many of those challenges that they may have been, but we have different challenges that may present. So these physiological reactions are often immediate. They're often something that we can't necessarily control. However, we can definitely control in a sense to how we respond to them. So when we think about that fight response, it's facing a perceived threat in an aggressive manner. So for adults, we may clench our jaw. We may kind of clench our fists. We may feel intense anger. Tears may come out. We may start glaring at people, kind of giving that look. And we may be verbally aggressive or passive aggressive in our comments or remarks. The flight, while we may not be running out of the building yelling and screaming, we're going to want to feel like we want to escape. So this could also be done in different areas, such as excessively exercising. So we're kind of avoiding the situation. We may feel fidgety or tense. Our legs, feet, arms may be in constant motion. We may just feel restless that we can't just kind of relax when we have that moment too. There may be a sense of numbness or our eyes may start to kind of dart back and forth, such as like we're looking for an escape. And when it comes to that freeze, again, we may not be frozen in the moment laying on the ground, but it tends to feel like that, or we wish we could just be frozen and not be noticed. So it may feel stuck or scared. We want to isolate. It may be possible dissociation. Our stomach may hurt. We may feel cold. So all of these fight, flight, or freeze responses can happen within our bodies to a certain extent. It's interesting as you were talking because some of the things you were describing, it almost made me think of like a wild animal and kind of that like pacing energy or that flight that that we would maybe see in like a Nat Geo documentary. So it's always helpful to put that in perspective too. Again, that, I mean, we're wired this way, right? So are all of these reactions really, truly normal? Going back to where I mentioned, like, it's okay to not be okay. I would say that these reactions are normal to an extent. So we know that there are times where we're out walking and, oh gosh, we see a bear, like we're going to want to freeze and not move or run away and stay there. However, sometimes these responses are activated when there is no real sense of danger there. And that's what we got to start to be mindful of. So just because we have a response doesn't mean it's an accurate response to a potential threat. So for example, if we're at school and there a drill goes off, we may know it's a fire drill, but our immediate reaction will be, oh gosh, is there a fire? We can then kind of calm ourselves. But again, also everyday situations, work, bills, kids, finances, our health can also be some of the largest non-threatening stressors, in a sense, that trigger these reactions. So ideally, we need to start being mindful of the reactions that we have, engaging their appropriateness for the situation. So a lot of it's about assessing. And Mm -hmm. if our reaction meets the situation... There's a lot that we're having to do in the moment. So are there some really specific strategies that we might use to either get out of flight or fight or just even to get back into connection? Yeah. One of the strategies that I would really start thinking about is exactly what we're doing now is starting to become aware of how these mechanisms work. What's kind of going on behind the scenes, as you mentioned, in our gut, in our head, how our body feels to gain a deeper understanding. When Working with kids, I often talk about the size of the reaction versus the size of the problem, and that can be something that adults can employ too. 
So this is all a lot to think about during a stressful moment. And I can't imagine a situation where things go exactly how we think. So as a mental health provider, can you maybe give us some personal experience or explain how we can also use some self-compassion during times of stress? You know, life definitely throws us curveballs and it's important to use self-compassion during those moments and after. So while I'd like to think, like you said, most things go according to plan, you know, I find that's not necessarily the case, especially for myself with two little kids. So a recent example was my family and I have been struck by different illnesses this past year, like I'm sure many of you have as well. And that's caused many changes in our plans that we had. So one example of a non-threatening illness, but needed attention and impacted our plans was pink eye. So about a week ago, we got a call from daycare. And when I got that call, I see the number pop up and my body kind of goes into that that freeze mode of, oh gosh, what happened? Are they okay? Are they sick? Are they hurt? Is it just an update? So once I answer the phone, you know, I'm kind of stuck. My heart's beating. I'm starting to sweat a little bit. Once I find out they have pink eye, you know, I start to decrease a little bit knowing that we can have a plan moving forward. But then there's also those thoughts of how is my kid feeling? Is their sibling going to get it? Did it spread to anyone else? Who's going to watch the kids if I go home? Do I need to take off work? If I do take off work, you know, then I start to feel a sense of guilt and frustration about canceling patients. Um, and those feelings, as you can see, can quickly spiral out of control. So it's in those moments that I need to try to focus on, okay, what can I control in that moment? What is that first step? And for me, this really involves taking a deep breath. And I know it can sound cliche, but taking one or two deep breaths, coming up with a plan, and then taking it from there. But I think anybody that has been in the pink eye situation, man, we can relate. (laughs) But I'm also, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about how useful some of those would be if you actually did need to put them into action too. Because if it was a situation where you really did need to protect your kids or get them some help from the clinic or whatever that might be, just realizing how useful that system is to us and why it's there. And then being okay with that and then safely regulating and reminding ourselves sometimes it's just that simple, take a breath. It's not always so simple, but it's helpful to have these simple reminders. And I appreciate you being here today with us to talk about this. Thank you so much, Rachel. And thank you for listening in. We hope you leave today with a few more tools in your toolbox. Be sure to visit our website and sign up for our emails where we share information about all of our upcoming professional development opportunities.